fear. Certainly the Lord descending in his temple to appear. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the Latin word uh, fini or finis has two meanings. One is the end or a finish of something, and the other is a goal to reach. A man who could not see the end of his provisional existence is not able to aim at the ultimate goal in life. He senses living for the future in contrast to a man uh, in a normal life. Therefore, the whole structure of his inner life changes. Signs of decay set in, which we know from other areas of life. The unemployed worker, for example, is in a similar position. His existence has become provisional. And in a certain sense, he cannot live for the future or aim at a goal. Research work done on unemployed minors has shown that they suffer from a peculiar set of deformed time, inner time, which is the result of their unemployed state. Prisoners, too, suffer uh, from this strange time experience. Viktor Frankl, who wrote these words, said that when he was in the death camp during World War II, uh, he said that, He said that a small unit of time, like a day, for example, which was filled with hourly tortures and fatigue, appeared endless, just never ended. But a larger time unit, perhaps a week or longer, seemed to pass pretty quickly. My comrades, Viktor Frankl says, agreed agreed when I said that in camp, a day lasted longer than a week. How paradoxical is our time experience, he writes. We are reminded of Thomas Mann's The Magic Mountain, where Mann studies the spiritual development of people who are are tuberculosis patients in a sanitarium, who also know not the date of their release. And they experience a similar existence, an existence without a future. And and because it has no future, there is no goal. And because there is no goal, many of them just die. I wonder if we're dying because we just have no goal. Because we don't perceive ourselves to have a future. You see, Simeon didn't have that problem. He didn't have to search for meaning, as Viktor Frankl talks about. No, Simeon had a future. Simeon had a goal. And so did St. Anna as well. They both did. We read in our gospel lesson this morning that that Simeon was a man who was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, just like Anna was waiting for the restoration of Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, because it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And so even though he was elderly, probably maybe even older than 100 years old, 
he, he gets up every day and, and goes about his business because he knows before he dies, he will see the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. Now, St. Paul said for me to live as Christ and die as gain. But do we look at our lives that way? I know too often I don't. Thus, Simeon's entire life had meaning because he believed God's promises, promises given to him explicitly from the Holy Spirit himself. Like Abraham, he too believed God's promises, and it was accounted to him just like Abraham as righteousness. In fact, he sounds very similar to a later saint of the church who only makes one appearance as well, right? Simeon makes an appearance here at the presentation of our Lord at the temple, and then at Jesus' death when he when he says it's finished and dies on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, another person that just sort of enters the scriptures for one point and then leaves, and then we don't see him anymore, is very similar to, to Simeon. Just as Simeon took the infant Jesus in his arms, so Joseph of Arimathea, if you believe the church heart, took, took our Lord and Savior's body in his arms for burial. And both of these men are very similar. In fact, there are some who think they're kind of like bookends, you know, like they, they, Simeon was there at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry as an infant, still wrapped in swaddling clothes, though not in a manger anymore, in his mother's arms, and that Jesus, you know, it, he's the one that wraps, Joseph of Arimathea wraps Jesus in his burial clothes and lies him in a tomb, right? They're kind of like juxtaposition from one another, opposites from one another, but both men of faith. Both men who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, just like Anna was. Yes, and like Elijah, before Anna, right, she, we too, we see that she and, and Simeon both were part of those waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So that there was actually not just Anna and, and, and uh, you know, and Simeon waiting for the redemption of Israel or Jerusalem, but there were many followers, many still that were very faithful to God at this time. Though they're kind of like hidden. That was the problem with Elijah, right? He confronts the priest of Baal and does that whole thing. And then he kind of freaks out and runs into the desert and hides in a cave. And then God has to get his attention. And, you know, and God basically says to him, there's, there's like several thousand, like 4,000 that haven't, you know, bowed to Baal or kissed him. And you thought you're the only one. Silly Elijah. And yet, how does St. Simeon and St. Anna for that matter, how do they know what they know, right? How do you and I know what we know? How does anyone know what they know, right? right? You, you wonder, we wonder that, don't we? How do they know what they know? Well, Christ tells us in the gospel lesson, he said it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He knows what he knows the same way that really we do. By God's word. Right? I mean, God gave Simeon, through his word, meaning for his life. His life had meaning because of what Simeon did, as he does with ours. Right? Because without God's word, our lives lose their meaning. I mean, that's really the problem in our world today, right? I mean, that's the problem. Right? I mean, we live as if God didn't matter, and as if God, and if we mattered most, because 
we, we, we live without God's word. Oh, I know explicitly you would say, oh, I believe in God and I believe in his word. But implicitly we act as if God did not matter and as if we mattered most, do we not? I know I do too often. But it's interesting that Simeon believed God's word because God disclosed it to him. That's literally the word in the Greek. It's disclose. It's the word, it's the word, kre, me, matizain. He disclosed it to him. Disclosed it to him. And this word disclosure means a divine oracle. Divine oracle. Now it's interesting because this, this word disclose is used also in Acts 10, where Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his, his house, that's speaking to Peter, and to hear words from you. Again, speaking to Peter. And then Peter invited them in, in and lodged them there that night. And the next day, Peter went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea, where Cornelius was waiting for them. And Cornelius received the gospel. Right? Yes. To Cornelius, God sent a messenger which brought the leader of the New Testament church, St. Peter himself, to him, to hear the gospel preached to him from Peter. And so, I guess the question is, do we receive holy angels speaking to us? Right? Because it's easy to say, well, you know, Cornelius had an angel, or, or the shepherds on Christmas Eve had an angel, or... You know, an angel appeared to this guy or appeared to that girl or whatever. I mean, they, they have, these angels appear. But we don't have angels, do we? Don't be so sure. I think we do. I think we do have angels. Right? Because what does the term angelos in Greek mean? It just means messenger. That's all it means. It means that anybody, anybody could be an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord. You just have to carry the message. So you, you know, we in this room, some of us have been the Lord's messengers at times, whether we knew it or not, right? Because that's all the messenger means. It means carrying God's divine message to those who God intends the message to go to them. And so, and so Jesus treats us no differently than he tr treated Simeon and Anna or Cornelius. No, not at all. God, God does the same thing for us as he did for Cornelius and, and Simeon, and, and, and all the other saints in the scriptures. That's what he did. He, he comes to us. He sends us his messengers so that we might receive his divine oracles. Right? And it talks about that in the scriptures. The scriptures declare that in days of old, God spoke to his people through his servants, the prophets, and now, this day, now today he speaks to us through his son. And his son speaks through his holy church, his bride, the church. For we, like Simeon, come into the temple of the Lord by the Holy Spirit. Because we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ our Lord nor come to him. But we must be called by the Spirit, enlightened with God's gifts. The Spirit calls us through the gospel. Through God's word he creates faith where and when he pleases. And then he, then he certifies and he makes certain that faith through his sacraments. First baptism and then the Lord's Supper. Right? Right? And we, like Simeon, take Jesus up in our arms and we bless God when, with our voices, we sing 
the, the songs embedded in the liturgy and when we sing these Jesus-centered hymns in this place and when we hear God's word and then when we take our Savior up and eat his body and drink his blood given and shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. It's the same action as the presentation. It is. Right? Therefore, every Sunday is a return, if you will, to Jesus' presentation in the temple. And every Sunday, we stand next to and with St. Simeon and St. Anna as we, too, receive Christ's body and blood given and shed for us. Yes, our Lord comes to us, not wrapped in swaddling clothes and not in the arms of his mother, but rather in the arms of Christ's bride, the church, right? That's the, that's the whole purpose behind that piece of artwork there on the, on the, uh, on the, on the right side of the, the crucifix there on the altar. It shows you Mary and Jesus is in her arms. The point of that, the point of that piece of artwork was to convey to us the reality that if you want to find the true church, the true church is where Jesus is, is, is in the arms of that church. Because Mary, like on the Annunciation, right, she's the one that says, Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. The true church is the church that says yes to Jesus and his word. Right? It's true. And then there's the testimony of history. Why do you, why, why do you think the Nuctaminus, the Song of Simeon, is embedded in, in, in the historic liturgy of the church that goes back more than a millennia and a half? Why do you think it's there? Why do we sing every Sunday when we, when, we use, when we use the historical canon of the Lord's Supper liturgy? Why do we sing, O Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to your word? Why do we sing that? Do you think that's accidental? It's not. It's intentional. Because after we receive the Lord's Supper, we have seen the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. Not in the form of a baby, but no less real, under the veils of bread and wine. Yes. And that's interesting because this word, before, he will see the Christ before he sees death. This word before is only found one time in the entire New Testament. And it's found in this gospel lesson, right here. That's that special word, before. It's a special word, it's a unique word, it's a one-time word to, to draw our attention to the fact that what we see when we see Christ is unique and special. It is not found anywhere else but where Christ's word and his sacraments are celebrated. Because only in Christ do we find the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Only. Right? That we cannot earn the salvation. We cannot. Because apart from God's revelation through his word, the baby that Simeon held in his arms is just an appearing as a plain baby. You know, I know all the movies and stuff have like, you know, lights coming down and all kinds of stuff happening. But the reality is that when you look at Jesus Christ, apart from his word, he looks just like any other baby. And the same thing is true in Holy Communion and Holy Baptism. When you look at the waters of Holy Baptism, apart from God's word, they just look like water. When you go to the communion, you see the, the body and blood of Christ. It looks just like a piece of bread and some wine. Because that's what the world sees. But if you look at that reality through the lens of God's word, it's something very, very different and, and, and eternally significant. 
because it is the forgiveness of sins and eternal life itself, right? Because of God's word, we know that Simeon held the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ, before he saw death, and that God was faithful to Simeon, that he kept his word to Simeon. And we know that because God kept his word to Simeon, he will keep keep his word for us. And from this reality, from this truth, our lives gain a finis. Our, God, our lives gain a purpose, and we have a reason to live because we are promised that before we die, we too will see the Lord's Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy self. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Amen.
the Lord be with you. Lord Jesus, receive these gifts of the sermon, thine altar and the preachment of thy holy word. In your name, O Lord, we pray. Amen. like to welcome everybody uh, to this, the sixth day of Christmas, um, and uh, Christmas ends, of course, on Saturday, which is the epiphany of our Lord, so um, if you're uh, sweating about taking down the decorations, you can keep them up till, till, till Sunday, um, and then take them down then after church on next Sunday, but um, it's really great having you guys here, everyone here, and uh, Lord's blessings be upon you. Let us pray. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace that is from above and for the well-being of the churches of Christ and the godly unity of all Christendom, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for those who in faith, piety, and the fear of God offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. For Matthew and Eric, our shepherds and bishops in Christ, for all pastors and teachers and all people, let us pray to the Lord. For our nation, all our people, for our president and Congress, our governor and the legislature of Alabama, for our judges and magistrates and all who serve in public office, let us pray to the Lord. For the sick and the sorrowing, for those who mourn, for those who are in need and distress, for the homebound and the infirm, especially we pray for Alice and Becca, for Joyce and Mary, for Mark and Eddie, for Norma and Kim and Suzette, for Ben and Woody and Cloyce and Shirley, for Chris and Elmer, for Para and Chris, for Janine and Sugar, for Brooke and Janice, for Taylor and Melissa, for Danny and Melissa, for Gray and Hank and Bob, for Meredith and James and George and Larry Dean and Earl, Suzette and Bob, Mallory and Mark, for Hank and Jay, Tracy and Michelle, um, for Carl and Karen, Jimmy and Tina, Ainsley and Kevin, Ron and Jesse, Theo and Easton and Waylon and Ryan. And we also pray for the families of our parish who mourn, especially the Tatum and Rogers family, the Faust and Callie's family, the Todd family, the Bolt and Grice and Heil families, and the Blunt and Davis families. And we pray for those in service to our country's armed forces, especially Riley and Paul, Hayden and Paul. And we pray for all of our university students, including Minnie and Aiden, Jacob, Kelsey and Mia. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for those to whom death is drawing near and for us all, that when our last hour shall come, we may depart this life in the confidence of the sure faith, the consolation of a right, devout, and holy hope, and in the communion of Christ's holy church. Let us pray to the Lord. Recalling those who have gone before us in the faith and rejoicing to share with them the Sabbath rest which Christ has won for his people, that together with them we may be found faithful in the day of judgment and rejoice in the day of the resurrection of the dead. Let us pray to the Lord. We pray especially this day for uh, all of our enemies. O almighty and everlasting God, who through thine only begotten Son, our blessed Lord, has commanded us to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us and to pray for them that persecute, us, persecute us. We earnestly beseech thee that by thy gracious visitation that they may be led to true repentance, that they may have the same love and be of one accord uh, and one mind and heart with us and with thy whole church through, this, through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. 